Well, good morning again, everyone. Hope that you had a good week. Um, does it ever surprise you how often you may notice or comment how fast time is going? You know, we're already to the end of October, just a few months left in this year. So much has gone by so fast. Also, your annual reminder to set your clocks back next week. If not, we'll have a really great turnout for Sunday school. So that sounds good too. So maybe just leave them the way they are. But we've got time change next week, so make sure that you enjoy that extra hour of sleep. Um, but you know, things change fast. Even in my short life, you look at how fast society and technology has changed. It's just been a massive boom that changes how we interact with others. You know, we've been talking about the new self and what the new self means for our family units, for the workplaces, and things like that. But you know, when you think about how you interact with other people, and you think of things like technology, I mean, devices can be pretty addictive. You know, you think about the times that you're on a device, how often your face is in front of a screen, whether that's a phone, a tablet, a television. You know, how often at night are we just sitting down, watching reels and videos or shows on Netflix, binging stuff, and just absorbed into those things? You know, it's, I believe, affected how we have interacted with others, or there's been a lack of that. You know, you think about the weekdays, how often are you sitting on the couch? You, you think about the weekends, how often are we watching sports? You know, and I use these examples because guilty. You know, you think about all of these things that pull us away. You know, you look at the documentation of, of devices and how they impact relationships, our communication skills, our ability to communicate with others. I think it's important to reflect uh, on how we do that, how we communicate. You know, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, um, the interactions that we have with our family units, with our workplaces, and how the new self is supposed to impact that, how it's supposed to change us in terms of uh, the interactions that, we, that take place. You know, and as we've talked about those two places, you think about your family time, you think about your work time, that's where we spend the majority of our time, right? We're usually with those at work or usually with those in our family. And, you know, I think that as we look at those types of groups, we can look at our life and we can see a lot of different groups in our life. You know, you can expand those two things out to our extended families or a workplace of like 400 people. Even within those larger areas, you have smaller groups that you, that you cling to, whether that's because of life situations, you're in the same season of life, whether that's personalities, you just click with those people. You know, you think about church. You know, we're a relatively small church, but even within the church, we tend to know each other pretty well, but even there, you have smaller groups. And within those groups, in either of those settings, you'll have outsiders. You'll have people wondering how to get in, how to be a part of those groups, and it, it can be difficult for those people on the outside to try to, to feel included at various, in various capacities, right? And as a Christian, I was reflecting on, on these types of things this week. And I, and I often sit and wonder at how the Lord has impacted me and how he has changed me, especially being an introvert. 
um, having a harder time to get, get to know people, to put myself out there, and just watching how, because of him in my life, how that has impacted me and changed how he can work through me as a vessel. You know, when I worked in the factories before I became a pastor, there was so many opportunities that I would have to share the gospel message, to talk about my faith, even though I'd rather just sit there and play chess with myself or read my Bible in my work cell when I had downtime. But he would put people in my life and he would thrust me in those types of positions to serve him. It's about the only time I really felt like Philip as he's transported by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Like, okay, now you're going over here. Now you're gonna go over here and do this. And you just continue to follow because that's where God is calling you. You know, there's definitely been unique circumstances that I wouldn't have chosen for myself. But I've gotten to witness how the Lord can work through us. And it's very impactful in our lives. Um, you know, when we think about workplaces, you know, we talked about that last week and how we can struggle with those thoughts about how everybody else at work is an idiot or they don't know what they're doing. They should just listen to me because I know the best. On the flip side of that, the Lord has used a lot of those people in my life to challenge me, to keep me on my toes in my faith, to correct me and humble me when I am wrong. And it's been fruitful to see how God can use others as well. Then you think of your family unit. You know, God puts those people in your family for a reason, and there's definitely moments that we don't always reflect on until it's too late. You know, the value that we have in those family conversations, the value of putting on that new self and being that impact for our family units. Because before you know it, the kids move out of the house. Before you know it, loved ones pass away. You know, we never know when our last goodbye is the last goodbye. When that last I love you is the last one. You know, death, it's not always slow like you see in the movies where you get to say all of those things that you mean to say and then they sweetly and calmly just pass into the presence. Angels singing songs as they carry them off. Death is terrible. It is a separation. It's painful to remind us of our lostness. You know, and as believers, we have hope that we're gonna see those loved ones again with Christ. You know, and, and that thought brought to my mind distinctions as we've been talking about the family unit, as we've been talking about workplaces. What are those distinctions? What are those groups that should truly matter to us? Because when we think about the groups that we have and why, how does God come into those pictures? What are the ones that matter to God? And to God, I think the distinction that matters most is saved and unsaved, the lost and the found. Is there really more, a more important distinction than those in our Christian lives? I did some research this week. I found that, at least nominally, Christians make up 31% of the world's population, around 2 billion people. This is from a 2020 study. The largest group would be the Roman Catholic Church at 1.3 billion. Now, according to the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, there are around 41,000 denominations or organizations in the Christ Protestant Christian faith. There might be some overlap with cultural differences of the same name, but think about that number. 
41,000. A lot of groups. But to God, there's just two. The lost and the saved. So for a moment, let's set aside thoughts of infighting and saying, well, they're not Christians and so forth and so on. And instead, focus how Jesus says, they will know that you are mine by how you love one another. They being the world. They being unbelievers. Because the mission ahead of us is vast. It is still great. It is still relevant. Even if we just count the nominal Christians. Now, when we count the nominal Christians, we don't even make up a third of the world's population. It almost seems like we're content protecting what's ours in our little corner of the earth. Thanks for the salvation. So it's that type of outlook. So is that the type of outlook or response to faith that we're to have with the new self? Is this how we are to treat the salvation that we have received? You know, so today, I want us to address how the new self should impact our interactions with non-believers, or at minimum, our attitudes towards them. So we're gonna be continuing in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in chapter four, verses two through six today. And I invite you to stand as you're ready to read God's word. Beginning in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths. Help us to understand, help us to apply these important things in our interactions, uh, Lord, with those opportunities that you give us. Lord, just bring us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so today in, this, in these short verses, what I wanna do is kind of draw out three points for us to hang on to when it comes to our new self, this new life that we have in Christ, and how it should guide us in how we approach uh, non-believers. We should be people about prayer. We should be people who can articulate the gospel message when doors are opened. And we should be people who speak with grace and walk in wisdom. All three of these things, you know, with all three of these, our focus is on the non-believer. Or at least we'll kind of get there, hopefully. But let's start with this first point in terms of being, about, uh, being people who are about prayer. You know, one of the most important practices to regularly have in your life in relation to God is prayer. You know, when you think about prayer, 
Uh, when we pray, we're calling on God to act. We're calling on his will to come to pass. We're expressing our faith in him. We're praising him. We're seeking his will. Throughout this letter, as we've gone through the Colossians, Paul has been emphasizing the believer's union with Christ. You know, repeatedly saying that they are in him, understanding what that means, how he is completely adequate, completely satisfactory for everything that they need. They don't need all of these other idols. They don't need all of these other things that they could be turning towards. You know, they don't look to the things of this world, but rather they're seeking Christ. They're seeking him in prayer. And for the Christian, you know, prayer is important. You know, if you are a Christian who doesn't have a good prayer life, basically you're saying that you're independent of God. I don't really need you. Thanks for the salvation. It's great and all, but I'm just going to go my own way. I know how to do things. I can take care of myself. But prayer is vital. You know, the importance of prayer says that it's only as we ask God to work, um, sorry, only as we ask God to work, he's going to accomplish many things. You think of the book of James, it speaks about prayer often. This clicker's not working, Paul. There it goes. Um, James 4.2 says you have, or you do not have because you do not ask. Earlier in James 1, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without, to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, multiple times, Paul calls the believers to pray without ceasing. And here, in our verse today, it is a command for them to continually be steadfast or devoted to prayer. Harry Ironside, you want to flip it again? Go ahead and change the next slide, Paul. Harry Ironside said, the soul flourishes in an atmosphere of prayer. We need to pray as much as we need to breathe. Our souls will languish without it, and our testimonies will be utterly fruitless if we neglect it. You know, and I, I find it funny how we weigh certain things in our walk. You know, what do we give credence to? What do we give importance to in how we live out the Christian life? An example for us, and rightfully so, we tout, we stress the importance of being in the word of God, reading our Bibles daily. You know, in the early church, in the book of Acts, it, is, it records how the, the disciples listened to the apostles' teachings. You go to the Old Testament, and all over in the Psalms especially, it talks about how I meditate on your law day and night, constantly being in the word. Um, where there's this emphasis in the word to be in the word. But even with all of these teachings, because we know them, how often are we in the word? According to a Pew Research Center, 35% of adults read their scriptures at least once a week. Context for that. Um, when, you, when they're doing that number, it is across all faiths. So when he breaks it down to more of the Protestant evangelicals, 65% of adults read their Bibles at least once a week. Not too bad. That's pretty good. However, when we compare that to 
the Jehovah's Witnesses, 88% of adults read once a week. 77% of Mormons. So it seems like we might be a little bit behind in those regards. How do we view the reverence and the holiness of God's word? So again, that's just an example. But how do we weigh prayer? How do we weigh this discipline that we are supposed to be doing? You know, reading the Bible, getting in the word is often championed from the pulpit, but how often do I champion something like prayer? Sorry. Uh, there was a survey done over the last three years uh, that shows just like in every other trend within the church, there's a downward trend where, you know, three years ago, it, it was measured that 49% of Christians pray at least once a day, and that's down to 44%. So why is it that prayer seems to be neglected on, on the side of what we're doing, neglected in terms of how we're living out the Christian life? Um, when we think about why prayer is difficult, there's different objections or there's different things that come to our mind to explain things away. You know, when we look honestly at the church, when we look honestly at our church, think about what we've had in the past. You know, we used to have a prayer time before the service. Nobody shows up. Jill used to do some things on Saturdays and you might get a handful of people. We have a prayer and praise time here on, on Sunday mornings, but usually it's the same people that pray. Why is that? Perhaps we like to practice our faith privately. You know, maybe reading the Bibles, praying only when you're by yourself. I get that. Sure, maybe. You know, I think for the most part, many of us can be comfortable sharing concerns or praises with people. But very rarely do we offer up our own gifts to pray for one another, to pray corporately as iron sharpens iron. And we can try to tiptoe around the issue. We can make up different excuses all we want. And obviously, it is between you and the Lord. But as Christians who put on the new self, I want to challenge us to pray about praying in the service to challenge us that every one of us has this gift to pray to the Father, to pray for our brothers and sisters. And when we're silent with that, we don't get to bless other people. And this is a challenge that is to everyone. It doesn't matter your age. Some of the best prayers I've heard are from children because they have such a genuineness. They're not trying to be all Christianese and making sure that they're saying all the right things, otherwise they'll be judged. But when we pray, we're speaking to God. And the more that you pray, the more comfortable that you get with it. You know, I think that when we are surrounded by like-minded believers, we have the opportunity to share those gifts. And as we've been trying to incorporate more and more people into the service, that's really the greatest way that we can be a part of the service, that we can be a part of the body by lifting each other up in prayer. And there's purpose behind why, is Paul, why Paul is commanding them to be devoted to prayer, to, be, to continue steadfastly. And we'll get into that here in a second. 
But he also attaches being watchful to this devotion of prayer. You know, because maybe some of the reasons that we don't pray is because we're distracted, because we lose concentration, whether that's through our phones, through our kids, in our minds, we've got so many other things going on, we can't quite keep focus. You know, distractions are common. You know, Paul tells his people here to be alert, to be ready to when they're praying to express gratitude with thanksgiving to God, you know, being watchful means being wakeful. It means being alert. You're not monotone. You're not distracted. You're not just going through the motions, but instead you're like a watchman on the wall. Uh, An analogy in a real life thing, it was used in the Old Testament in Israel all the time to be watchful for the enemy. It's a frequent charge that's given to them. So that when we're praying, we're exercising our communication with God. We're praising him. We're seeking his will to be done. We're asking for provisions. We're asking for forgiveness. And we're asking for strength to combat the enemy. You know, to live this Christian life, this, this new life, this new self without prayer is like going to the battlefront unarmed. You know, and I found it was very interesting. The parallel passage for Colossians to our book of Ephesians, that one that we often refer to, is in chapter six, dealing with the armor of God. When you think about the armor of God, it, he, Paul lists a lot of different pieces of the armor, and he says this at the very end. He says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So you can see the similarities within our passage in terms of what Paul is also asking the people to pray for. You know, sometimes we have this complaint of, well, I just don't know what to pray for. I just don't know. Paul gives them an answer right here. Right? Paul, is he, as he is writing to encourage them, he's also asking for prayer for himself. You know, think about that. What if some spiritual giant that you see, it, some author, some conference speaker, somebody that you look up to, where you're at a conference and you get to talk with them and they ask you to pray for them right then and there? Do you do it? Or do you balk and say, oh, I can't, I don't know what to say? It'd be bad, I I just can't do that. You know, that's one of the excuses I hear often. I just don't know what to say. It tends to be a big hindrance in people's lives, thinking that they don't know how or what to say again, or again, meeting the, the elegance or the articulation that the speaker has. You know, I'm not a spiritual giant by any means, but as a leader, I'm not too big to say, pray for me. You know, not just at home and when you think of it, pray over me, pray with me, pray for me. I'm not too big, neither is Paul. Pray for your spiritual leaders. It's important for you to do that, to have that practice because it's a bond because you're united in Christ together to where we pray for one another. Now within... 
this request to prayer, we also find two good intercessions, ones that we should be seeking in our own life as well, ones that become good purposes for our praying and being devoted to prayer. See, Paul commands them to be prayerful for the opportunities for the gospel to advance, and this is our second point today. See, the new self allows us to be people who can articulate clearly the gospel message when doors are opened. Understanding that you know, we're not forcing the doors to open ourselves, but rather we're in a state of watchfulness, a state of readiness through prayer, through discernment, watching for those opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ to others. A mystery of Christ, Christ which is to be clear. Okay, so when we think about the alertness, when we think about being in tune with the leading of the Father, discerning where he is asking you to go and who to talk to, we pray through those things. You know, you look at where Paul is right now and as he is asking this prayer, he is currently in prison. So he very literally does not have a lot of open doors. But yet he knows that he is going to be sharing the gospel message no matter who comes into his life. So he's praying for receptivity from the guards that he's going to be chained, chained to, from those visitors, from maybe people, the magistrates, or people within the prison, that he would have an opportunity expectantly to share the gospel message. Is that our heart or attitude? Not that we're in prison, but in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Are we actively seeking those times that we can share the good news? Praying for those open doors. It's an awesome perspective to have for the possible interactions that you have each and every day. You know, can we examine whether or not our motivations are similar to be able to share the word, to seek for those open doors in our own lives? Would you say that you're ready to share the gospel message today? If I said, we're just gonna go door to door right now, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses do it, right? Go door to door, go share the gospel. You know, several years ago when I had you guys break up and, and share your testimonies. Are we ready at a moment's notice when the Lord says go, to go? Are we prepared? Do we have the words on our tongue? Do we have the excitement, the energy, the passion to follow through with what he calls us to do? Or perhaps are we waiting for them to ask us first? Our perspective should be that we have Christ. We've been given new life. We have a new self. We've been forgiven. We have the Holy Spirit. We should be the ones that are ready, that are watchful, expectant, diligently seeking to share the gospel message. You know, you think back to that very simplistic song. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm gonna let it shine. Are we afraid to shine for Christ? Are we afraid to live out our Christian lives with our words, with our actions? Is it just for show? Or is it a burden to have the lost people on our hearts and minds? Knowing that those lost loved ones, our family members, our neighbors, are gonna be eternally separated from the Father. Again, Maybe we struggle with fears of public speaking and not knowing what to say. Yes, articulation can be tough. Because at times we know we want to be concise. 
We want to be clear. Otherwise, we're going to lose the attention spans of those people that we're talking to. At the same time, then we think, well, if I'm concise, maybe I can't be complete. I got to tell them all of the things that I know about Christ. Well, then it just becomes too much and it might bring in different confusion. Paul says, make it clear. We want to articulate clearly the gospel message. You know, one of the biggest moments I had in terms of growth with this area is understanding that I'm not the one that saves people. It's not my words. It's not how I articulate things. Yes, I need to be clear. Yes, I need to be complete. But it's the Holy Spirit working in that person's life. I just need to respond to the Father and go give the message that he tells me to give. We see that in the book of Ezekiel all the time. Otherwise, their blood is going to be on my hands if I don't go when he calls me to go. So we want to understand when, when, we're under, when we're discerning that from the Father, when we're in tune with the Father through our prayer life, through what the Word of God says, we're a lot more receptive when he says go. You know, and we do this, we, I usually do it in pieces to what the person can handle. You know, as I'm sharing something, I'm also praying at the same time. You know, as Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, I'm praying for what it is I'm supposed to say and what needs to be said to that person in that moment, how God is going to use that. It's the same thing with every message. I don't know what you're going through a lot of times. I know some of the things you're going through, but sometimes things in a message is gonna, are gonna strike your heart because of what you're going through that I have no idea but, about, but God does. And the Spirit convicts you in those areas in your life. And that's what's so amazing. You know, we joke, I joke about it all the time, how when we're in Sunday school, we talk about these messages that, you know, oh, it's exactly what I'm talking about in the sermon. Or we have songs that come up. And it's just, it's amazing to see how God orchestrates all of those types of things to meet us where we're at, to humble us, to give us his truth. We serve an amazing God. And it's so exciting. You know, his desire, Paul's desire here is for the message to be clear, which is how he ought to speak. This is to be a goal that we pursue as well as disciples. What good is it if the person doesn't understand because we've jumbled it all up? You know, we remember that the gospel is simple, but so many times we complicate it ourselves. Make it clear. Work on your articulation. Uh, have different conversations. Think back to your moment of salvation, your testimony. Think back to what salvation is. Constantly have this in your minds. As it's on your minds, that's what you're going to be talking about. How many of you guys watched football yesterday? I mean, if that's on our minds, that's what we're going to be talking about. You know, so when we think about what, what it is that we're putting into ourselves, what we're distracting ourselves with, that's what's going to be coming out. And this kind of leads into the third point that Paul makes. For believers, we should be people who speak with grace and walk with wisdom. Now, this, again, is directed towards outsiders, towards unbelievers, and the purpose is to make the best use of their time, implying that the best use of your time is spreading the gospel message, advancing the kingdom forward with the opportunities that you're given. Hopefully, um, that happens often. But you know, this, this goes back up to his main point in chapter one, verses nine and 10, where he talks about being filled with all spiritual wisdom and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, we walk 
in a worthy way, we use the wisdom in order to bring about others to Christ. This promotes an evangelism approach that is loving, that is seasoned, that is timely, that is gracious. Not something that's harsh, not something that's forced, not something that's tactless. You know, Paul is sharing that as they're walking, they need to walk the walk. And then as they're speaking, they need to talk the talk as well. Walking in wisdom entails studying the word of God, having a life devoted to prayer, where everything that they are saying and doing or everything that is being done is being done in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, their Savior. Now, we've spent a lot of time recently talking about our walks, so let's focus on this second part in terms of their speech, how it is to be seasoned with salt. So, how is your speech? You know, speech usually expresses what is on the inside of a person, right? And James teaches us this pretty thoroughly. Uh, if you want, you can turn over to the book of James. I'll read a couple different passages from there. Um, you can write down these references and study them later as well. But in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Jumping down to verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, dece but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then you skip over to chapter three. This is always the one that gets me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze, by a, such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of, and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, how a person talks kind of dictates a lot of, of their practices, their gracious character, whether or not it's coming from God, demonstrating the new self, or whether or not the old self is still there. You know, and, and the metaphor salt is being used. Um, Jesus uses salt and light a lot of times to describe how the disciples are to be interacting with others. You know, salt, especially in this culture, would make food more attractive. It would also preserve food to keep it from rotting. 
So this metaphor, it's continued on by Paul here to show how Christians should use their language to draw people closer to God. How language of Christ should be said in a way to promote the only way to deal with the rotting flesh, the dead flesh that comes by sin. And that is through Christ. It should reflect the preservation that we have in Christ. You know, as we walk in wisdom, we are to use our speech wisely just as well in every circumstance. Our conversations should be Christian, not filled with swearing or coarse language. You know, obviously you're going to have those moments where somebody's cutting you off on the highway or you stub your toe and those words of anger and of the flesh might still come out. In those moments, we ask for forgiveness and we continue to seek to put on the new self in all areas of our life. You know, when you look at, when you look at this section as a whole, when you put everything together with our emphasis being on the unbeliever, on the outsider, our prayer life is guided to be able to look for open doors towards, as we pray with one another, for each other so that we can emphasize Christ so that we can emphasize sharing the mystery of Christ in a very clear way to where we are walking and we are sharing the words that are seasoned with grace and love because we understand the will of the Father is to see that no one perishes but that all will come to everlasting life. All will come to salvation through Christ. You know, again, is this where our hearts are in terms of how we look at the new self, how we live out our Christian life? Are we walking and sharing with others those gracious words? Do we share this same sentiment that the impact of the gospel message can change communities, can change hearts and lives? Are we doing everything in word and deed to honor the name of the Christ? Are we distracted by building up our own kingdoms? You know, 1 Peter 3, and sorry if you're gonna use this as a benediction, but 1 Peter 3 Beginning in verse 13 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who gives you, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered by those who revile your good behavior in Christ, uh, in Christ you may be put to shame. Sorry, let me start that over. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You see, the new self that we put on as we are in Christ should impact deeply the relationships that we have with unbelievers. We've talked about how it impacts our relationships with our family unit. We've talked about in the workplace and now also with unbelievers. You know, our enemy is not those people. It is not flesh and blood, but rather the principalities and powers of, of the evil one that has blinded them from the truth. So we have this great commission that is set before us. It is set before us all the same. It's not just my job as a pastor to do this, but rather as a priesthood of believers to go make disciples of all nations. So as a pastor, I pray frequently for open doors for each one of you. And I pray this week 
that you would have open doors and those opportunities to look for the time to share the gospel clearly. I pray for a devoted time of prayer each and every day in your life where you can seek those opportunities yourselves. I pray that each one of us would walk in wisdom and grace, seasoning the conversations that we have with the things of Christ rather than the things of this world because we have an amazing God that we serve and he calls us to go and be a blessing because of the blessing that we have received. So let us go with that today. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to study your awesome and amazing word, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to write these things in our hearts, that you would apply it to our lives. For the opportunities that we have, the platforms that we are able to speak on, Lord, and just those, those open doors. Lord, help us to constantly be looking for that opportunity with an expectant hope that we get to share your word each and every day. Lord, as we interact with others, help our conversations to turn more towards you. Help us to find those accountability partners that we can talk to about our walks, uh, our struggles, and help us to pray. Not just saying, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, but just stopping and praying right then and there. Lord, because you are what is important. Not our time, not our schedules, but you. Help us to be reminded of that priority. Help us to be humbled in those areas where we have lost focus, where we have put things above you in forms of idolatry. Lord, help us in each conversation that we have this week to draw one another to you in clear, simple ways. May we magnify and honor your name because you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.